Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. No, really, thank you. I realise that your podcast time each week is limited and you've chosen to spend this hour with me, so thanks. That's awesome. This is episode 134 of the show with the Honourable Leanne Enoch. She's the Minister for Innovation Science and the Digital Economy, also the Minister for Small Business in the seat of Algister in Queensland. You can follow her on Twitter at Leanne Enoch, that's L-E-A-N-N-E-N-O-C-H, at L-E-A-N-N-E-N-O-C-H, Leanne Enoch, two E's, two N's. Yeah, more about her in a moment. Uh, This episode is brought to you by the wonderful people who support the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. So many wonderful and loyal listeners of the show. I thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart because without you, I couldn't make this show. I'm very blessed that at the moment uh, work is pretty great. Therefore, I am running out of time to produce this show, which takes up to a day sometimes to write and research and record and produce, and I simply do not have that time anymore. Uh, Podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. Thankfully, the wonderful Andy Marr has come on board, and I am able to pay him for his fantastic work through the pledges made by people who love the show like you, patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. For as little as five bucks a month, you get access to exclusive episodes and uh, the rewards go up from there. In fact, in about uh, 45 minutes, I have a Skype call with one of uh, the people that has pledged uh, 50 bucks a month and I'm looking forward to that very, very much. The rewards uh, start at five, but please, you do not have to donate to listen to the show. I'm going to try as hard as I can to make the most recent episodes of this show free as much as possible. 
so I might put some other episodes, older episodes behind a paywall at some point. I don't know if I will or not. Uh, but at this point, I'm just grateful, so grateful that uh, you're on board and helping me make the show because you are helping me make the show. It's easy to say that without the Patreon, this show would have stopped about three months ago. So thank you very, very much. I hope your week was good. I have been emotionally eating so much and I'm doing it with my fiance so we enable each other. Yes, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on that I can't quite talk about. But uh, she and I are uh, at a point where I actually had to, I had to go back to gym today. I had to go uh, I had to go back to gym today because uh, my shoulder is just being a son of a bitch. And the only way out of the pain that my shoulder is giving me, because I dislocated it, the only pain out of the way of my shoulder is to strengthen that shoulder and work with the pain. So I have to, the more I don't work my shoulder, the more painful it gets. So unfortunately, not doing anything, it's getting worse. So I actually have to exercise and be in pain because the tendons are not happy. Um, and I've got to exercise my way through the pain, which is somewhat of a metaphor for the rest of my life, to be honest. The only way out of the flames is through the flames. And hopefully I shall emerge as Daenerys Targaryen, naked and with the Dothraki bowing before me. Uh, spoiler alert. I won't tell you what show that's from, but it might be Game of Thrones. You should know that by now. Uh, anyway. I should get on with the show. Oh, uh, very quickly, uh, I should let you know that I'm about to pre-record next week's show um, because I am going to take a week off from... Um, the show's still going to come out. show will still come out, but I'm taking a week away. Um, I have to change meds, and that, res that involves me coming off of all my meds and having a couple days fallow and then going on to some other meds. And uh, I just want to be sure that I am... Uh, as clear of any microphones <laughs> as I possibly can uh, while I make that change. Because you don't need to hear me when I'm like that. Nah. So I'll just be getting my head down on my bicycle and, and try and staying out of everybody's way while I go through that. But uh, don't worry, there will be a show, but you just won't hear me or see me on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that for, uh, for a couple of days. Uh, but it's okay. I'll emerge the other side and uh, let you know how things are going. You know, you never know. So let me tell you about my guest today. I'm very, very excited to say that uh, my guest today is the Honourable Leanne Enoch. She is the Minister for Innovation Science and the Digital Economy, also the Minister for Small Business in the seat of Algister in Queensland as part of the state government there. It was a massive deal for me and this very show, in fact, uh, to have Leanne on the program. Her wonderful stuff reached out to me. Her stuff reached out to me and asked if I could come to Parliament House and interview her. Now, considering the work that she's doing and the story that she has to tell, I absolutely jumped at the chance. Leanne is the first Aboriginal Australian woman to be elected into the Queensland Parliament. Now, she's a woman who grew up on country, which means as an Aboriginal woman, she grew up in her ancestral lands, which is uncommon in more modern times. Uh, she did that on North Stradbroke Island, which is off the coast of Brisbane. Uh, it's about an hour's ferry ride uh, on the other side of Moreton Bay. She then uh, grew up in Woodridge in Housing Commission, which is on the southern fringes of Brisbane, or it was at the time that she was growing up. At points, her story filled me with emotion, uh, moved, uh, moved both of us to tears, and I'm sure it will do the same to you. Um, 
we speak about women in power, we speak about growing up on country, off country, and what the economy of the future might look like. It was a bit fancy. Uh, uh, her staff organised for a fancy government car to come pick me up with about had about five aerials. Uh, we rolled into Parliament House, which is at the uh, the very end of the city in Brisbane, right next to the park. And uh, it was kind of odd because the last time that I was at Parliament House, I was at an Invasion Day rally. Invasion Day for folks listening overseas is, uh, we explained it at the start of the show, but needless to say, it was a pretty uh, pretty raucous political protest, uh, something I feel very passionately about. And um, it was nice to be able to step inside Parliament House, which I had protested outside of, to step inside to speak with an Indigenous Australian woman who was in a position of power. That was nice. That was very, very nice to, to go in and do that. Uh, but it's a, it's a fantastic chat. I'm super grateful to uh, Felicity uh, on her staff who uh, sorted this out. She uh, is a powerhouse. She used to work with Gary Vaynerchuk, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled to bring you this conversation today. If you like it, please let Leanne know on Twitter. Just look for Leanne Enoch on Twitter. It's Leanne with two E's and two N's. And um, enjoy the show. Come into the, I believe it was the fourth floor of Parliament House in Queensland with fancy maroon carpet in a little kind of um, meeting room, which is about, I don't know, as big as your kitchen with no uh, way to see in. It had frosted glass on all walls. And uh, the staff told me that this is where uh, cabinet ministers like to meet on neutral ground so they're not seen in each other's offices. Uh, but Leanne and I had a meeting in there and we had this conversation and I couldn't be more grateful to bring it to you today. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fantastic. Do I call you Minister? No, you just call me Leanne. Because <laughs> everyone I've met today has said, oh, the Minister will be here. Oh, I know. It's so posh, right? But uh, I'm still just Leanne Enoch who grew up in Woodridge, you know, <laughs> just normal. I grew up in uh, at first Fernie Hills and then oh. Kenmore and then Chapel Hill. Well, that's a bit posh. Not at the time. <laughs> they were out, they were outer suburbs back then. Yeah, let's not sure, let's sure. not forget. They yeah. were outer suburbs back then. I'm old. Um, so we are can you describe to people who are listening because people listen all over the world. Yeah. Could you describe the building we're in? So we are in the Queensland um, Parliament House. Uh, this is the House of the People. Uh, so this is where um, the Queensland Parliament conducts its business, where legislation is passed, uh, where 89 members from across the state come together very regularly, have some very robust discussions. You may have just heard some of that before I came in here. Um, and uh, like I said, pass legislation um, for the benefit of Queensland. Right. Yeah. I think the last time I was here was uh, the 26th of January, but I was out the front. Oh, okay. I was out the front with a bunch of people. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think I know what you were out there doing. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. It was very important. I was here. I, there was a, in our country, we have a thing called, uh, they call it Australia Day, but they celebrate as the day that the British planted a flag in our country. Sure. And other people like to call it Invasion Day. Yeah. And the or more, Survival Day. Or Survival Day. Yeah. And the more and more I read, the more and more I educate myself about what happened to our country and how our country came to mm. be, I just simply cannot... I cannot wave a flag on that day. And, it, it, you know, I, I get this weird feeling in the bottom of my tummy when people tell me, just get over it, mate. Just yeah. get over it. And it just, yeah. It's, it's a, a hard thing for me because, you know, I'm a kind of torn in that, um, you know, I'm an Aboriginal woman. I have more than 3,000 generations of my family have lived in the Kwandamooka country or that nation, which, is, um, which takes in the islands and uh, waters of Moreton Bay. So I have ancestral ties into Moreton Island and North Stradbroke Island. And my, uh, on my grandmother's side, I had uh, 
she was a Kanji woman, so has some ties into the far north of Queensland, but thousands of generations deep of that connection. So I understand um, the sentiment around Survival Day and Invasion Day. Um, but at the same time, uh, my Aboriginal grandfather also fought in, in the Second World War, you know. Um, he did fight on behalf of Australia and, you know, that flag was an important part of what he did. So, you know, I'm torn in many ways, but I wish that we could celebrate um, the Australian um, culture, the Australian um, spirit, um, maybe in in a way that doesn't really reflect on when the when the flag was planted. Because, I mean, it would, January first is the day we became a country. Yeah, Federation sure. Day. That's sure. January first, nineteen oh one. Yeah, but there's already a party that day. Yeah, but it's still in the summer holidays. <laughs> yeah, still true. all right. Pop another. Pop another. <laughs> here we go. Pop another long weekend. Pop another day off on. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. I'm sure, that'll go down well. Yeah. yeah. Just, hey, we'll give you a day off. <laughs> It'll be awesome. But, you know, people celebrate um, that day in their own way. And I think even in in that diverse way that we celebrate our country, yeah. um, even in that, there's some good things about it. You know? what, was, uh, what was Woodridge like when you grew up there? Woodridge was like, uh, it was kind of a new suburb, really, if you like. It was uh, like fields before you got there. Pretty much, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of lot of farms and dirt roads and all really? that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not all, you know, and um, uh, you know, obviously no footpaths and stuff like that back then. We moved um, from the island from North Stradbroke Island um, just before I started school. So I'm the eldest of four, and um, mum and dad sort of made this decision that it'd be a good idea to move onto the mainland. Um, you know, as we started our schooling years, and then we ended up in Woodridge. Um, which was a place where housing commission homes were being built at the time. And, yeah. Um, so we got to move into a brand new house and mum still lives in that house uh, 42 years later. It's public so, housing? Well, she got the chance to purchase that house okay. in the 80s when, um, you know, there was a bit of a round of selling particular particular public housing in particular locations. Right. Mm. So you did the early growing up stuff on Stratty? I was young. So, yeah, four, four, five. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, beautiful. I, st- I mean, it's still my home, yeah. Yeah. How early in your life did it become apparent to you that your heritage was different from other people? Um, probably not till high school, to be honest, um, because where we were, where I got to go to school, so I went to Woodridge State School, Woodridge State High School, uh, we were all pretty much from the same kind of backgrounds and I had a lot of family that were living um, in the suburb as well. So it didn't really feel like there was much difference at all. It was only till we got to high school and I uh, interacted with other schools more and, you know, did regional sports and all that sort of stuff that you started to realise, oh, hang on a second, um, yeah, there's something different here and all, all of a sudden you start to realise that your identity um, you know, plays a part in the way that you interact with the rest of the world. So when you're, but when you're a kid, how do you how do you even begin to make make sense of that? I mean, I remember the first time that I went to a friend's house, and by all no, I'm white male middle class and straight. I with fabulous hair. I, fabulous. I hair. won the lotto. All right? <laughs> I won. I won our modern society. You know, the world is biased towards me in a jillion jillion ways. Uh, you're a born uh, Indigenous woman uh, in, you know, in low socioeconomic in, yeah, uh, low socioeconomic class. <laughs> yeah. How do you even begin to make sense of 
well, for, let's say, for example, even just the socioeconomic differences, mm. let alone the, mm. the cultural difference, mm. how do you begin to make sense of that? Because uh, Woodridge, when I grew up, was mm. still like a ooh, Woodridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you even begin to make sense of those socioeconomic differences mm. as a kid? Yeah, and that's again, it's like when you don't have anything but you grow up with so much love and um, compassion and uh, fun, like we had so much fun as a kid. And I think a lot of people in my age bracket or <clears throat> late 40s, um, you know, we had so much fun as kids. You'd get on your bike or you'd go for a, um, you know, walk with your friends up into the bushlands and whatever and mm. you'd be gone all day, make sure you're back by, um, you know, by sundown, that kind of stuff. Um, and we, in Woodridge, we were all in the same kind of boat. Everybody was, you know, there was nobody that had more than somebody else uh-huh. really, except one of my friends had a colour TV. Wow. That was huge because... Um, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but you look much younger than me. But I'm not much younger. Wizard, than me. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, um, when that uh, came onto the television set and it had like half black and white and half colour, yeah. I was like so staying at my friend's place because she had a colour TV. That was the big, big, big event of, you know, for kids in our, in our suburbs. So everybody was over a friend's place who had colour TV. Um, but apart from that one friend who's, whose mum was a teacher at the school, um, you know, we were all in the same boat, so nobody knew any different. Yeah. So, like I said, until really, you know, we didn't really make any comparisons until you start get start getting into high school. And I remember we went. Um, we were really lucky. Our school uh, was was very much um, committed to making sure that uh, the kids at our school got to have these different experiences. And so, you know, we we went to the snow. We went skiing, which was a huge endeavor. You know. Lots of it's us a had, long way from Brisbane. It was. It's only like 29 hours in a bus. Yeah. There's a long... People from overseas may not understand how far away Brisbane is from everywhere oh, else. yeah, of course. It's a long way. Yeah. And the highway back then was not awesome. No. No. No, not great. Not great at all. It's so, like a yeah. day and a half in a bus. Absolutely. Yeah. With um, a bunch of year 11 and 12 kids. Oh, so, yeah. you know, 16, 17-year-olds. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, <laughs> but one year we, um, we shared the expense of the trip. Um, with another school from the Gold Coast and they were from a school where there was a little bit more, um, you know, economic um, advantage, I guess, if you like. Uh, and, boy, did they give it to us, like all the way down in the bus about being poor kids. And uh, and it wasn't really until then that I I understood what, what that meant. Yeah. And like I said, at the time when you're in your sort of mid to late teens and you're really understanding who you are in the world and how how that plays a part in how you interact. Um, I mean, it could give you a complex. You think, I'm, oh, I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm poor. I didn't realise I was, I was poor and that that's a bad thing apparently, you know. And could you imagine now I look at Gigi who's 12 yeah. and she looks at her Instagram and she's constantly looking past yeah. everyone who's got more than us. Yeah, yeah. And like having that experience yeah. every time you look at your phone. Yeah. It, what a challenging what a challenging concept for kids to get their head around right yeah. now. I think that's why, like I always say, our biggest strength as human beings, regardless of where you come from, is your story. Your story is the strongest thing about you, you know. Like own it, um, hold it up, you know. That's what will propel you into the next part of your life. Um, I, that's what I teach my two sons. I've got two teenage sons um, and hopefully it's sticking with them but... Yeah, you know, um, I think those kind of experiences for me um, really just uh, put me on a path around social justice. Right. Yeah. Is that – and 
when you got off that bus was like, that's it? Or you started getting that feeling of it's not actually okay with me that this is going on? Yeah, I think at that time it was more a case of I feel bad for myself at the time. You go, oh, I must be less than somebody. Mm. And that's not a great feeling for any kid to have. Um, And then it just sort of started my mind going in that space of, well, if I feel like that, well, how do my friends feel? Well, I'm going to stick up for my friends. And then it kind of it kind of just propels you down this path of, um, you know, I want to make a difference and I want to educate people. I want to, um, you know, teach people that about the strength of their own story um, and I want to make a difference in terms of social justice. So, you know, that sort of put me on a, on a particular path. How did your folks talk to you about this kind of stuff? Well, it's really interesting because my mum and dad, so my dad, um, my, my Aboriginal parent, so uh, very... Uh, very recognisable Aboriginal man, like very dark-skinned and, you know, everything that you would imagine an Aboriginal man looks like. My mum, a non-Indigenous woman, um, so very, very fair lady. I look very much like her. Um, my brothers uh, look more like my father. So it's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting mix. But they were married in the same year that um, the referendum allowed my father to vote and be counted as a citizen. I, I seriously, I've, I have just chills that that was even a thing, mm. you know. Mm. So they nineteen sixty-seven. My mm. God, I know nineteen sixty-seven. So mum and dad were very young, um, but here they were getting married in the same year that the, the nation was having a conversation about the rights to of Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people to be counted as human beings. It was no longer fauna. Yeah, no longer flora and fauna. Mm. So having grown up like that, it's, mm. I mean, anyone who's in their 40s will probably start to realise the things that they go, hang on, that's only in my life because that's my dad's thing. You know, you find yourself carrying some of your parents' pain. It's just the, how it is. Mm. Did you, did that kind of pass on? Like if your dad's been treated like that his whole life by a country that was essentially taken from him, that's hard not to be upset at the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I guess... Um, you know, which goes to your question earlier about, well, how did my parents talk to me about the world? Um, you know, because they were so young, and I think for my dad, um, you know, here he was, um, a, an Aboriginal man who lived on his country, um, and for the first time proper, he was living off his country. Um, so that's how we refer to it in Australia. You know, um, if you look at the landmass of Australia and the same way that you look at Europe with all the different countries. It's the same mm. thing in Australia. I've got a map on my wall. You So you know it. It's like 280, something like yeah, that? Yeah, so there's there's some... Yeah, well, there are some estimates up to around the 350. Right. So, but, yeah, about 280... And dialects, that many... Totally different. It's yeah. like going across the border between, um, you know, uh, countries in Europe. So mm. if you go to Italy or if you go to France, completely different language, different art, different dance, different food, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Um. You know, so um, here's my dad who, uh, you know, grew up on his country and he's moved off his country into the mainstream. Uh, We're living in this um, suburb where there's a mix of people who have different views about Aboriginal people, um, migrants and all the rest of it. Mixed marriage. Mixed marriage, yeah. All of those sort of things. So for him, I think he's uh, at the time as a 19, 20-year-old man, um, you know, he had to deal with his own identity issues at that 
at that time, as well as hold down a job and take care of his family. And so I think there were times when he found that very confronting and, you know, and he shared his emotions with the family. So, you know, I saw that firsthand. I saw things like, you know, if we'd go on family holidays, um, back in the day when there weren't seatbelts in the back, you know, we'd all sit in the back seat and you'd drive up to Cairns or wherever in this car. Again, 20, 24 hours, 20, 26 way. hours. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we'd stop at a hotel or a motel um, to spend the night and Dad would send Mum in because in case, and it was a subtle thing, but you notice it, it's like Mum's always the one that goes in to see if there's a room for it, for us because uh, Dad would always say, no, because if I go, they might knock us back just because he's he's a black man. Wow. So it's those subtle things that you grow up with and yeah. you don't ask the question uh, explicitly, but you sense it and you digest it in a particular way. And then, you know, as the years go along, you start to ask deeper questions about it. And my dad was very open about um, his experiences with racism um, and why sometimes he felt fearful um, and why he was defensive sometimes. He did not come to one of my school events to see uh, a production or a, a, an awards ceremony or anything like that. He did as the with the younger boys. Um, I think you know he became more confident in that space as he got uh, as he got older. But the fear that if he turned up, that somehow that might be a bad thing for me or or for my younger brother. Because you've got to remember, back then, um, even in the early 70s, um, in the early 70s, so this is when we had moved from the island to the mainland, in the early 70s, um, Aboriginal kids who were fair-skinned like me were being removed from their families. And that was a real fear. So the idea that, you know, that might be something that he would contribute to was something he just, you know... Hmm. That... There's so many things there. <laughs> like just listening to you speak just then, you're just trying to relate it to my own family. And the, I think the one thing that to be so – I just let me ask this. Where does, where does the feeling of shame come in around all of this? Mm. Well, I know when that word shame, I think about my grandmother um, who I – just adored, and if you if you get a handle on Aboriginal culture, and for some of your overseas listeners, um, you know Aboriginal culture, uh, grandparents are really important. Like they play a key role in the upbringing of children. So. I went to a community just outside of uh, Alice Springs, mm-hmm. and uh, Damien um, was his English name, Australian name, whatever. He says, <laughs> uh, uh, "This is Mum Granny." Yeah. I yep. said, what? He goes, that's the closest way I can begin to translate the name for her. Yeah. And this is dad, uncle. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. all right. So it's not just two, it's 16 yeah, <laughs> people right. you answer to. Exactly. That's right. So like my dad, uh, so my Aboriginal parent, he was the eldest of 15. Um, so I have four aunts that are my, like my mother's. And, you know, I have all of these uncles who are like my father and they really are like that. And then on top of that, in our kinship structure, our family structure, um, first cousins have the same status as brother and sister. So I have 42 first cousins. I'm the eldest of all of those. So there's, you know, there's all of that that happening. But for my grandmother, who was, um, who was an incredibly important um, person in my life and in my brother's lives, 
um, you know, she experienced worse things than my father. I mean, uh, you know, she grew up in Cairns, um, you know, at the time of uh, World War Two, and uh, you know, her families were removed from their forcibly removed from their from their countries. Um, she, it was, it was, um, you know, forced into the minds of young people at that time of her growing up that being Aboriginal was a shameful thing, that it was a bad thing, um, that if you spoke your language, that was a dirty, non-godlike thing. Um, that's that shame. Um, you know, when I was little, I remember her. I remember this very clearly. Actually, I was in. I was in grade 11, so I was about 16, uh, and I was talking to... I was the first one to get to this stage in my family. So I was talking to her about my future and I was saying, you know, should I continue on with school and go to uni? I think I want to go to university maybe. Um, or should I drop out now and get a job like everybody else? Or, you know, um, it, was, it was one of those sort of crossroad moments. And she held my hand and she said in such a loving and warm way that I thought, oh, these, these are encouraging words. Okay, this is what's, you know, going to help me make my decision. She said to me, you can walk amongst them and they'll never know. You can walk amongst them and they'll never know. That's what she said to me. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? But, of course, this was about you don't need to ha- – this is her, her um, dealing with the shame and that's how she, um, you know, projected it. Yeah. Um, the idea that somehow um, either – I could play a different role because people wouldn't straight away think I'm Aboriginal Um, or that maybe at the time she was thinking, well, you could um, slip through and maybe be, uh, have some success because, you know, if you don't tell them you're Aboriginal, you'd be okay. Uh, uh, This was part of her um, understanding her own um, beliefs that she had been, that had been hammered into her brain. So that's, that's the shame stuff. When I think of the word shame, those lessons that I learnt from my grandmother are how I sort of, you know, think about it. Hmm. The way that, you know, you, you see so many people pay such attention to the way they bring up their kids and what values mm. they put their kids upon, mm. to consider that there's such an enormous part of our society who grew up with these messages mm. of, no, actually, no, you're less than mm. and you're not worth, and even now being told, just get over it. Yeah. It's a long time ago. What are you going on about? (laughs) So, because I'm just thinking about your father, it must have been, I think, in in 67 when I think about it, to have grown up in your own country in the late 60s would have been quite an uncommon thing. Mm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I mean, she... Uh, so so for my, so my dad... Um, we, our family was quite fortunate on North Strabroke Island. Um, uh, there was a mission there, mm. um, but it wasn't um, it wasn't the same as what you saw on mainland mm. um, Queensland. So it was still bad. There was still you know uh, you're not allowed to speak language. There's no corroboree or ceremony to be conducted here. That kind of stuff. Um, but it wasn't as harsh as what you saw on the mm. mainland. And um, uh, I think only a few of our family members ended up being moved to Cherbourg, um, which is not far from... It's about three hours' drive from Brisbane. But mm. um, we we were quite fortunate, I think. You know, That's my dad's recollection of it as well. That were, there, were there still corroborees going on? Um, not to the same extent that you would have expected. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my dad taught, has taught taught me and taught my brothers and my sons, um, you know, some some very important lessons about their country yeah. and their culture. So the more the more and more and I told this to I've told this to a few guests that I've spoken to, the more I read about it, the more I realise I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's the and that's the, the, the frightening thing. When when I the, as the more I discover, the more I realise there's I did not get taught this in school. No. This is not what I was told. Mm-hmm. They completely forgot to tell me about this part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That for me, that that attitude is really healthy. Like if you come at something with, I actually don't know everything about this, um, and if you come with a questioning mind, then that's great, and you can be just your normal, gentle soul, your normal, gentle self, um, in the questioning process to help you understand things. You know, like. It's when you come with a particular closed view about the whole thing is when we have trouble. So when you held your grandmother's hand, yeah. was that like, oh, I've got to do this? Um, yes, it was. Um, and I have, you know, because I, I tell that story all the time because it is, those words have really stuck with me and I've created my own interpretation of that um, over the years. You know, it's probably the same for every every person, every grandparent out there, um, every person who's had the the privilege of having grandparents in their lives. Um, it's probably the same. But for me, my grandparents, which were many, um, they they had this way of giving you these little lessons that you just store in the back of your mind or in your heart somewhere um, that you don't sort of think about until the time that you need it. And they could have been long gone from this earth, you know, 20 years ago. And all of a sudden you're remembering that one thing that they had placed in your um, spirit, if you like, about this this thing. So um, from those words from my grandmother, um, every time I take the next step, I create a new interpretation of what she, what she was trying to teach me. Mm. And were you able to go straight from high school to uni? Yes. Oh wow! So Good I went. I went straight into university. So first, first person in my entire family to do that, of course. Um, uh, my brother, who is quite well known in the um, arts industry, 
Um, he's the current artistic director of the Sydney International Festival and I'm incredibly proud of him. Um, he was the second in our family to come into university the year after me. Um, but I became a teacher and then he went more into... Uh, I became a teacher of drama and he went more into the industry of the arts. So, yeah. So just I just would like to have that sink into people yeah. that in, I'm going to say, mid-'80s? Yeah. Mid-'80s, yeah. you were the first person of your entire family ever to get into university. Yeah, to finish year 12. To finish year 12. Mm. Like, just if folks could imagine, like, if that was your you know, aunt or mum, you know, it's astonishing to even, you know, think about that. Um, I don't want to use the word disadvantage. I I want to use the word like just difference in in achievement ability, Mm. like what options were there Mm. and that the only option was like actually no, it won't work so you better just drop out now (laughs) and go and do, you know, drive a bus. Not that there's anything wrong with driving buses, but, you know, don't go to uni because it's not going to work out. Uh, Did you go straight for the social justice thing at uni? Teaching. Teaching. Yeah. With a a bent, did you take any electives or anything like that? Well, I I was a drama and English teacher. Ah. So I discovered theatre in year 11 after that conversation with my grandmother actually. And I went, okay, well, this is, I think, I'm going to go in this direction. And this is what I say to every young person out there. You just, even if you don't know what you want to do yet, just keep going in a direction that you kind of like. Just keep going forward in that space and something will reveal itself. I never thought for a minute that I would end up being a politician of all things. But uh, I thought, I want to be a drama teacher. I want to be a teacher. Um, I got to teach for 10 years um, uh, in classrooms in um, in Brisbane, in regional Queensland, and then in London for a few years, which was the funniest thing because here I was teaching English to the English. So here's an Aboriginal girl who grew up in Woodridge teaching English to the English. Not that they speak my brand of English, but it was like... It was hilarious. I, I kept pinching myself all the time. It was so funny. But uh, How did yeah. you deal with kids who were being little shits? Yeah. <laughs> what was your way of dealing with it? Well, I think because because I am the eldest of 42 first cousins, <laughs> it's really, it wasn't, you know. Yeah, you got nothing. You got nothing, kids. <laughs> Honestly, you got nothing. Oh, that trick? Ha, 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 I've seen that trick 5,000 different ways, so don't yeah. even bother. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I, for me, um, I've always worked in... Um, in locations where there is um, perceived disadvantage. Uh, And so I just pour love on kids, you know. I just pour all that attention and love and you're the most important person in the world right now while we're dealing with what's going on for you, Um, whether that's learning this particular piece of information or dealing with what's going on in your behaviour. So I've always taken that approach. Mm. That's how you deal with it ultimately. What was London like? Yeah, well, you know, I thought... I thought I'd seen everything. Long way from Woodridge. Sure. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'm pretty tough. I grew up in Woodridge. So here I was in East London um, in, a, in this school where quite literally for the first term I would just come home every day with a complete shocked look on my face, run a bath, sit in the bath with a glass of wine and go, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get there the next day. It was just so different. It was such a big cultural change for me. Um, but... I, I think if you come from that base, that, that value base of every person you come across uh, has a beautiful story to tell. Every person you meet is has value, um, even if they've done bad things. Every person has value. Um, so I just kept going back to that, that 
that base that I've grown up with and that's what got me through and I ended up there for four years. What made you come back? Um, I had a child. So, yeah, I wanted to get my children back on country and, yeah, yeah. When you brought your kids to Stratty for the first time, was it a big deal? Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, we went as a family. Um, so my dad and my mum and uh, there was a couple of uncles as well um, because, you know, I had a, my firstborn was a son. Um, so, yeah, we took we took him over there. Um, we put his feet in the sand, you know, very important. It's a grounding sort of um, process, if you like. Um, and ever since then, you know, he, my two sons, same thing for the second son as well, but those two sons have just been um, enveloped in, in the love from their family and the, um, the love of their country and the culture that, um, you know, that that brings. So, yeah, it's been right. nice. So at what point did you get, because a lot of people go, oh, I'm upset with this, I'm upset with this and oh, I'll vote this particular way mm. or I'll, you know, I'll go to this meeting or I'll enroll in this party. At what point do you go, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm, I'm so moved by the need for change, I'm going to have to get my, roll my sleeves up and get in? You know, I wish that it, I wish I could tell a story of that, that I had a pivotal moment mm. where I wanted to, um, you know, be an activist and make big change. But it wasn't like that. I've just always felt like I, um, I need to be part of, um, you know, that change movement. I, I need to be part of what is going to be next for Queensland and for Australia. And so even as a teacher, I was thinking about it, you know. Even as a um, – uh, from then I went into policy and I wanted to be in the middle of how do we, how do we um, um, enact some change in this so that, uh, you know, People are better off. That so this is a so you went into a role that was not elected in. No, you worked underneath somebody who was elected in, helping that somebody yeah. with. Okay, let's figure out a policy that that we can try and present. Well, I worked for. Um, I was a public servant, so oh. um, I, so I came. I, I came from the uh, classroom into the education department to uh-huh. write policy. Right, um, and then from there worked in local government, and then um, back into state government, and then um, worked for Australian Red Cross for nearly seven years. Um, again, looking at how do we uh, ensure that everybody gets a fair go in, in in moving forward. So even those people who are the most vulnerable, how do we create some level playing fields so that they can be part of they can be part of um, you know the future mm. um, that uh, just as I was the first in my family, there are still pe- there are still Aboriginal people and families who haven't had a first in their family to get to university or to finish high school. So, you know, these, I know how important that is. So these are things that I became very passionate about. And so I've always wanted to be in the hurly-burly of policymaking and um, change-making. And then one day I was um, in a paddock at Laura at the Laura Festival, which is this huge um, Indigenous arts um, and dance festival. Um, It happens every couple of years. Um, And they do it in Laura, which is a very remote town in Queensland. Um, and people go and camp out there and all the rest of it. So I was there with the Department of Education and my minister at the time um, was Anna Bly, who became the Premier for Queensland. And so I'm in this paddock. She's walking down with a towel over her shoulder. She's off down the creek with everybody else for a swim because it was a hot day. And I'm just chatting away to her like a normal person. You know, she's talking to me about how she loves being part of policy, creation, etc. I'm like, oh, I like doing that. I mean, I didn't have any um, 
There were no markers in the water for me. There were no beacons Mm -hmm. to say this is the next place to go. And then I met this woman who became, you know, the leader of Queensland uh, and she somehow lit up a marker for me to say, even for me as an Aboriginal woman, this could be something, this is another direction that you could take. And it wasn't long after that that I joined the Labor Party and then I um, got involved in, um, you know, how do you create good policy um, in the political realm? And then it kind of just eventuated from there. And now, again, there's so many firsts in my life. I'm a bit scared of what's going to come next. But, uh, you know, first Aboriginal woman elected to the Queensland Parliament, first Aboriginal person to ever hold a ministry in a cabinet. Um, and it's 2016. Like that happened last year, but the first time that that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. How does it feel going to work every day in a, especially the old building? Yeah. Where so many policies were passed to disadvantage, mm. uh, possibly even your father, possibly even your grandfather. Absolutely. To disadvantage me even, yeah. you know, as a young child. Um, or even just uh, in the last government, there were policies that were disadvantaging yeah. uh, me and others. So, um, and, you know, there are rooms, there are rooms here that are beautiful grand rooms that are lined with portraits of um, non-Indigenous men, uh, just lined with them, all, all of whom were um, architects of particular policies of the time, you know. Um, so for me, I kind of go, ha-ha, jokes on all of you because <laughs> here I am and I'm, yeah. you know, I'm going to be part of it. I'm not going to be quiet. So, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. I love it every day. So, I, grew, I grew up here uh, as a kid under Bjelke Peterson. Right. So, you know. weird. Yeah. People don't get how weird it got. Yeah. Especially like not so much towards the end. But definitely, like, anywhere between 81 to 83, 84, yeah. three people walking down the street was a march. Yes. Um, if there was a protest by some students, wasn't the Brisbane cops that broke it up. It was yep. the cops he got in from Roma yep. that he bust in and then they came in and smashed some heads. Yeah. And then no one could press charges because those blokes were back in Roma. Yeah. And it's just total dirtiness. Yeah. And, and doubly worse for Aboriginal people. Yeah, oh, my gosh. It was awful. Oh, my gosh. I, I've... Um, some of my um, relatives and people who um, were really the the head of the um, uh, what we say the Brisbane Blacks, you know, the Black Movement in um, uh, in Brisbane at the time. Uh, there are images of them marching down the street with um, uh, bike helmets on, you know, like uh, proper um, motorcycle helmets on, because that's what they used to they used to go for the head. So it was terrible. It's awful. It's a terror. It's, it, it's embarrassing, but it's also, you know, like I say, even as a state, our, stro- our story is our strength. You know, like that story, um, we have to take that and learn from it and make sure it never, ever happens again. Um, you know, that's how we build on. We can't ever go back to that, ever. How do you, because there was a person in my life who uh, worked here. I uh, won't say in what role, uh, <laughs> in the 80s. All oh, right. Rusted on. Yeah, yeah. Rusted on National Party. Yeah. And I would speak with him and I'd listen. I don't, like, how do you, how can you exist <laughs> in this, like, it's not even they still make you. It's like 
surely you've got some sense of reason and an ability to understand that things are different, yet you still, no, I don't want to hear that joke, thanks very much. Yeah. Nor that one. Yeah. Please. <laughs> How do you deal with, because you'd be coming up against it now in, in you know, the higher you climb, the windier it gets, yes. they, tackle, they tackle hard and the state of origin, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How do you deal with people who are, don't see at the very base level humans as humans? Yeah. Well, that's, but that's the interesting thing about human beings, isn't it? Like that's the interesting thing, that there, there are some who will feel total um, empathy, that will understand um, uh, the importance of humanity um, and get it immediately. Um, and they're easy to talk to and they might have different views to you, but, you know, from, from their heart and their soul, they have that sense of humanity. Whereas others, are, you know, are still trying to work that one out. Um, and for me, I... You know, I'm not going to lose my humanity in all of that. Like you have to, you have to still be who you are. So even when I'm getting attacked by people that um, are, are still uh, working out how they feel about the human race, <laughs> I still uh, just approach it with who I am. So I will still treat people um, the way that I expect to be treated. Um, even know. though they're being very obstructive. Absolutely. You and perhaps to. not seeing you as, at the very least, another human. Yeah, absolutely. You have oh, to. It's so tough. It is tough. It is tough. Because the initial, a lot, of, a lot of people's reaction would be aggression yeah. towards that. Yeah, yeah. Or to, you know, go in a corner and like. Because <laughs> I think about, you know, I mean, I saw something terrifying yesterday that uh, it was a graph basically documenting the temperature rise since the start of the second industrial yeah. revolution. Yeah. 2016, I think we've started on the hockey stick yeah. of exponential. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need each other. Absolutely. And we're going to need to see each other as, at the very base, a human. Yeah. Or things are going to get ugly. Yeah. Yeah. When you look forward and you see the world that your kids, your kids are growing into, mm. what are you, you know, are you glad you're in a position where you can possibly affect a, a change? Or? Mm. Um, that's a question that... Um, I ask myself and I ask others a lot because, you know, there are still people that don't think that the human race um, has had anything to do with climate change. Like they still don't, um, they still think that that's not true, that this is just normal fluctuation in weather. It, it, it is true. We have affected it and we need to, like, we need to act pretty quickly. So there's things that, you know, we have to be doing and we're going to have to do them together. We need to, you know, get over some things, but... Um, but the other thing I get to do also is um, to think about the future in terms of, you know, what what kind of technology and innovation is going to be on the horizon and how do we prepare our children to be front and centre of the new economies of the future. So I get to, because of my role as the Minister for Innovation, Science and the Digital Economy, um, I get to explore all of that. So I'm constantly asking that question you know, on behalf of my children and, and asking it to other parents, like, we have got to be getting ourselves organised here pretty, pretty quickly um, if we're going to be able to ensure that our kids have got um, jobs for the future, you know. Will Anderson has a line, he had it in his last show, so he probably won't mind me saying it because he's finished touring it, <laughs> uh, that if we wanted to, we could be the catter of clean energy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> if we wanted to, we could all be rolling around in, in, in you know, Bentleys if we wanted to. Yeah. Because that's what's available to us. Yeah. We have that much sun and that much wind. Yeah. We could, if we wanted, we could be the spearhead of the innovation that powers the world Absolutely. in the next 50 years. Absolutely. And Queensland even more so. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and that's why um, this government, and I don't want to get into, you know, this government, that government and all the rest of it, but but this government, we are very focused on renewables here in Queensland. And, and I know that my ministerial colleague, uh, uh, the Minister for Energy, he is adamant that we are the sun, not the, not just the sunshine state, but the solar state. And that's where we're moving towards, that we've we've got to get on top of this. And it's not about, it's not about making um, electricity expensive or anything like that. It's actually about driving down the costs and um, ensuring that we've got clean energy going into the system into the future. Mm. Uh, and we've got abundant resources in that. And they, you don't need to dig anything up to get it. So. No, or set anything on fire. Yeah. I, 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 often, you know, I often wonder, it's like, you know, the, the people that I've met that are so vehemently opposed to climate change is like, don't you have a house by the sea? I believe you do. <laughs> You're not worried about that at all? You live here. Yeah. We live in the same planet. You know? I know. It's like it's not going to affect you too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about, you know, the, uh, you mentioned economies of the future. Mm. That might be, you know, a, a hell of a concept for some people to, to, to get their head around. But I've talked on the show before about universal basic, in- universal basic income and, yes. and the, 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 the third industrial uh, yeah. revolution yeah. of um, near cheap or free or near free energy and Absolutely. free or near free marginal cost that's of right. 3D printing everything. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a heck of a disruptor. Massive. I mean, all you need to take, I mean, I was looking yesterday at um, Uber's plan, mm. uh, 9,000 uh, autonomous vehicles on the streets of New York mm. by 2020. Mm. That's three and a half years away. Mm-hmm. Doing that will decrease, that'll be the current traffic of New York City will go down to one eighth mm. of what it was. Mm. All right. The energy and, and power required to run these things is minuscule. Mm. All right. Where do all those jobs go? Mm. What do we do with all that extra free, all that extra free money and time? <laughs> you know, it's that. Once that starts, once those autonomous things, like for me, like when, my view is that once the autonomous vehicle thing starts, it's so cheap. Yeah. And individual car ownership goes out the window. So that's great. But then you lose car manufacturing, all those industries. You lose. You know, how do you adjust? Like to where does everybody go to work? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I guess this is the conversation that we need to be having now and that's what we're doing in Queensland. We're saying we need to diversify our economy right now. We need to move quickly. That's why we every kid in our schools now um, will be exposed to coding and robotics because that's where the big jobs yeah, are the future. Yeah. So we have to. That makes me happy. Yeah. And, you know, we've got some problems in that because um, right now in the STEM field, so science, technology, engineering and maths, um, women are very much underrepresented. Um, and so, you know, your your daughter, um, you know, she she needs to be engaged in that space. Yeah, yeah. We need more girls engaged in that because what we don't want in a very short period of time is a generation of women missing from the economy. Um, there will be jobs. There will be. They'll be different to what we have at the moment. Um, An entrepreneurial spirit will be absolutely necessary. It may be that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of reports and studies into, um, you know, work of the future. And there, uh, you know, some people talk about you may not have one um, one 
job for one boss anymore. That may be um, uh, not as predominant as what we have in, at the moment, that you may have packages of work that, you know, you work for many different and, then um, you know, there's shared office space or, you know, there's a lot more online um, interactions with your work colleagues. Uh, so you know things are going to change in that space, and we need our we need our kids to be equipped with the skills right now um, to be able to move into that environment into the future. But you know we're seeing advances in this is about to skyrocket the types of advances that are coming out of technology. It is touching every part of our lives. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of opportunity in that. I think it's easy to come from a from a uh, from a filter of fear. When you think, oh, there'll be no jobs, and change what is will frightening. We do? Change yeah, is frightening for absolutely, everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, but if you look at it through the filter of opportunity, there are masses of opportunity in this. So, like for in Queensland, we're making sure that we've got a really strong startup culture because, you know, if those opportunities are going to create new new business opportunity, new business um, challenges and. Um, Opportunities Honestly, going forward. Two questions left. <laughs> this is my life. This is what happens. It's like, yeah, you got the next we just thing. Got, we just got the five-minute knock. Okay. <laughs> Lots of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we want people to be prepared for that, to see it, um, to bring that um, entrepreneurial outlook into yeah. how you how you go forward. But we need the skills as well. And yeah. they're going to be high-knowledge skills. Yeah, that's. I think well, it's too much of a deep discussion to get into mm. now, but I guess my other concern is for uh, the – like entry level, anything that could can be done by a robot will be. Mm. So what do you do with people who, you know, yeah. just just don't have the capability? And there are people in our society and, mm. you know, who mm. like that's the, that's the extent. They're not mm. doing that job that you might see as menial because I was sucked in, that's a job they've got. It's like, no, that's actually as much as they can do. Mm. Uh, and they love it, mm. you know, yeah. and that's okay. Um, so final final question. When you stand in that room, Yes. Full of all the, the white men. <laughs> it makes There's a me... lot of women in the parliament too now. Just, well, now, yeah, yeah. what changes when a woman is in a position of power? Mm. Um, well, for me, I, you know, this is the first time in parliament, so I've only seen women in power uh, and women standing in the chamber. Um, but I guess for me, there is a... There is there's a bigger sort of understanding of the world that comes from women standing in parliament. Um, there's an understanding of how all these things connect, you know, in a real way, in a, in a way that um, it's not just the mother, but if you, you know, if you take it from the physical mother, but from the spiritual mother, um, you know, there's, a, there's that understanding of how every word, every action connects to generations. That's my sense. And that, you know, women uh, predominantly bring that, um, particularly in leadership roles. And so, uh, you know, for me, I've, this has been a fantastic experience because I've only, I've only had a, a female boss in the parliament. And for the first time, we've got uh, more females, more women um, in the cabinet than men in, this, in the Queensland parliament, more women than men. And we've got a premier and a deputy. So the two highest levels... Um, of leadership in our parliament are held by women. Uh, so, you know, it's it's girl power. So it's all good. Yeah. It makes it makes me very happy <laughs> for, for in all the businesses I've worked in. It's uh, not, this is not to say uh, Richard, who uh, is my current uh, boss at Hit 105, yes. but uh, all the businesses I've worked in that have had a, a woman at the head of the 
head of the show, it's I don't know how do I put this in polite mm, words. Yes. How do you? Tell me. <laughs> it's less about it's less about pissing in corners. Sure, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's less about how much territory can we bring and how many skulls can we crush. Yeah, yeah. It's more about how can we all Exactly. Have a go. Exactly. At this. Exactly. And uh, it always makes me happy. Yeah. I can't thank you enough. I know you've got the busiest day of ever. This has been fantastic, though. I've been I've so lucky. It. I'm thrilled that I had the chance to speak <laughs> with you. I'm just going to take your photo very quickly. Yeah. Okay, cool. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Leanne Enoch. You can find her on Twitter. Her name is Leanne with two E's and two N's. So it's L E A N E. And her last name is E-N-O-C-H. Her name's Leanne Enoch. That's her tag on Twitter. She's also on Snapchat and Instagram. She's a fantastic human being, and I couldn't be more grateful to her and her staff who helped me make this show today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all the people who supported the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash osher. Without you, this show would not exist. So to say thank you, I'm trying to get as many exclusive episodes to you as I can. Thank you very, very much to everybody that has uh, pledged money and... Um, uh, yeah, I'm just super grateful. Super, super, super grateful. I'm off to uh, lie on a lacrosse ball uh, and make noises like a small wounded animal in a bow hunting show because that's the noises I make when I'm trying to release tendons in my back. Trust me, when you get over the age of 40, this will happen to you too. Until we speak next time, thank you so very much for listening. Thank you for all of your support on the show. I love you. Thank you. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.